0: We're going to be reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verse 24 through chapter 8, verse 10. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast out the demon, cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may Go your way, the demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. And then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through, through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought him to a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples and set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Um, If you would just bow with me and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for um, just clarity as always. We want to understand and we want to drink deeply from your scriptures and we want to respond appropriately. And uh, as we've studied through Mark and learned about Jesus, we want him um, to change our lives and transform us. We need him more than we realize We need him every day. We need everything he did and accomplished for us. We pray we would be reminded of that today. In Christ's name, amen. So like a big question that some of you may ask, may not have asked, I don't know, but uh, I remember getting a track a number of years ago, and I think on the front of it just said, who is Jesus? That's a big question to answer, because you want to understand that, like who is he? And then the next question might be something like, how can I approach him? How can I be close to him? And so in, uh, we've talked about this in Mark, but it ex- explain, it's one of the Gospels. It's explaining uh, about Jesus' life, his, his death, his burial, his resurrection. We're, we learn about those things, but it is important just to say understanding who he is is really important, but also understanding what it means to be a disciple is really important, uh, to, to follow him because sometimes people can miss that altogether. And so there's kind of two approaches. When you think of God, if you were hanging out with people and you asked them kind of how they viewed it, if you went way back into history, into the ancient world, they may think of God as someone that they need to appease. It's like you're, uh, you have to, the gods are mad at us. They, they, they're angry at us. And so we're constantly trying to appease them in some way. Uh, that would be kind of one way to think about it and so you could think about God is angry all the time and he's he's always uh, angry at you kind of and you're trying to make him happy and so you can do a variety of things to do that Uh, the other thing is maybe a more modern kind of understanding would be something like this Uh, well God is a spiritual force and I have access to him all the time in whatever way that I choose that's another kind of option and so you do have those two that you're looking at, you're thinking about, and you consider, and you say, uh, well, there's this option and that option. The reality is then there's the biblical framework that we're going to look at today because Jesus is both Lord and servant. He is both holy and yet at the same time personal. And I want to be able to understand him rightly, and you do too if you're here. You want to see clearly, and so he is both of those things. So we're going to talk about that, how to approach him, how we can do it, you know, like, really kind of why we can do that, and then the satisfaction that that brings. Those things are kind of at the center, I think, of what we're looking at today. So we'll look at the first part, of how we might approach him. In verse 24, uh, you see he goes to an area, the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he, he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. He was going to be hidden. It's like he has been, I mean, y'all have seen it in, in, in Mark. It's like everybody is coming after him. They want to be at him at every moment. And so he's kind of going into a place that would be a secret place, a Gentile area, an area that a Jew wouldn't want to be a part of. And so all these people have been following him around. He thinks, well, I'll go away into this place. I'm going to go into a house so I will be hidden. I'm just going to get away from people. And what happens? You see this word over and over in Mark. Immediately. Immediately, immediately, you know. But that's what you see. Immediately a woman whose daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now what does it make the point of here? That she is a Gentile, a Seraphim by birth, and she begged him to cast out the demon out of her daughter. And so this is kind of one of those things. It's a neighboring area, but really they're just trying to uh, Jesus has moved away from the crowds in a way, and then she shows up, and really uh, she comes in a way that you would not expect her to. Uh, she she would um, there were a lot of religious and moral and social things that were wrong with what she was doing, and she was adamant. Like she is coming after Jesus, pursuing him. She's like knocking on the no- door, like you think about Matthew seven: ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. She is pounding at the door, in a sense, as she comes forward. She is begging him. In Matthew 15, you find out that Jesus' uh, disciples are like, we got to run her off. You know, they couldn't stop her. She's somebody that, you know, they couldn't stop, but we're going to have to run her off. And what you find out, though, is uh, Jesus doesn't, of course, run her off. But you wonder, like, why is she so bold? What would make somebody this bold? And you could think about that in, in different, you know, points of your life but maybe you've had a moment where your child was sick and you were like I need something done like I need it now I, I you know that that's kind of this point where it's like this is this this is my child you know I need them to be fixed now I need somebody to pay attention now and I think that's kind of at the heart of this she is very aggressively pursuing him and she's going to as we see in mark uh, going to get more than what she even really probably planned on when she was going forward. So I think it's just important to see that. You see her boldness and you see her coming forward to Jesus. Then, verse 27, he says something to her. And if you're honest, you'll be like, man, this is just, I, this doesn't, this is not cool. Like, if I went to Jesus, some of you may have kind of grown up in a church where it's like, well, if you go to Jesus, like, he's never going to, like, question you in any way or, like, confront something in you that might be wrong or whatever. In this case, uh, it's interesting because he said to her, he, he used a parable. He says, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. It's kind of a, uh, he's using a metaphor, but we sometimes think about, I don't know, when we think about this passage, you're looking at this verse, you might be like, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. But one thing to know is um, dogs in that culture, uh, most of the time they're wild mongrels, you know, like running around like savages, you know, eating trash and tearing up stuff. You know, and you want to stay away from dogs, you know. And in our culture, and they had this too, but in our culture it's like we want, uh, we have dogs and we're, they're like our little puppies, they come inside Everybody's, you know, really, you know, watch out for the dog. You know, I can't go out of town because of my dog. You know, like somebody's got to feed the dog. You know, all that kind of stuff. You know, and you're just like, really? And then they're like looking for new foods. I think they need a new diet. I mean, I've got to get a diet for my, you know, the right diet for my dog. I'm going to take my dog to a dog psychologist. That kind of thing. We have people like an extended family in our family that I think that's what they've done. They like took their dog to a therapist, you know. So, Anyway, it's a little over the top, you know, with the whole dog thing for us in our culture. Sometimes it's like, did the kids eat? I don't know, but the dogs did, you know? I mean, it's kind of, okay. But not, not here. That's not what's going on here. So when he says this, dogs, when he uses it, it would be kind of the, a different term than like just wild dogs. It might be like puppies or it might be something like just small, like dogs. You would understand it's kind of like a family dog but again in that culture and in that time and in the bible you might say well where do you see that jared goliath said look down at david and was like who brought this little dog here to mess with me you know he kind of spoke him that way in philippians 3 paul calls the gentiles i mean he doesn't he says it calls the circumcision dogs but it was because they all called gentiles dogs you know they were just worthless kind of things or whatever but anyway when you're looking at all of this and you see it What is Jesus trying to say? He is saying, Let the children be fed first, and then he's using language like what would be kind of spoken of in the Gentile world. He's like, And then kind of throw the rest to the dogs. The children here are the Jewish people. Jesus came to preach the gospel to the Jews. All of you here are the dogs. Right, I mean, you just kind of have to put yourself in a framework of thinking in those terms as the Jewish people would see you. But Jesus did; he came first for the Israel people of Israel. He comes; he is. They, they've had the law, they've had the prophets, they've had all those things. They they had very unique; they were very uniquely uh, blessed with everything. God specially chose them as a nation. And then we're going to see as it fleshes out the other things that he is going to accomplish. But all of those promises, all of the, the kings and the prophets and this temple and sacrifices, all that was tied to them. They're the children. They're what you might call like children of the promise. They've heard the promise. they received the promises in a very unique way. He's saying there is order. First to the Jew... And you'll see later to the Gentile. Once he's di- he dies and is resurrected, what does he say? Go out and preach the gospel to all, to all nations. So, it, but, but you even see in Romans where Paul says, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's what he's saying. You're just kind of putting that together and framing that out. Now, how does she respond? And that's the this is one of the most wonderful kind of responses in Scripture. I, I think it helps you understand things. In verse 28, She answered him, not in an arrogant way. She's bowing down, begging him, right? But she does answer him back when he speaks to her. And she says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. That's, I mean, you think, wow, she's really, she comes to him and speaks to him in a way that really shocks you. You look at it and think, man, what kind of an answer? And Jesus will kind of express that to us later. But I think what she's saying, if you think about it, um, she is saying not I deserve this, not like I'm the best mother, not like I'm the most clean, not I've done everything I was supposed to do throughout life, none of this like assertiveness that thinks so highly of yourself and arrogant, not that, not that. She does not disagree that what he has said about her is true. She doesn't disagree. Because she knows, again, that she is a Gentile. It's a way of saying that she knows where she is in the whole redemptive narrative. She's not questioning Jesus' plan and his purposes that he is doing and accomplishing. She's not standing up for her rights. She is saying, in a way, and this is how uh, one author said, I am not coming on the basis of my goodness, I'm coming on the basis of yours. Like, it's your table. You feed the children, you feed the dogs. I'm coming based upon that your table is filled with goodness, and there is a place for us Gentiles. That's the way you might see it. I think it's important to say it in that way. It's almost like she would be saying, this, this author noted, I accept your slight. I cannot defend myself. But I cannot slight you. My only desire is that you treat me as your mercy deserves. You show your kindness. I know, I know there's a lot there. I know there's a lot of, there's, there's enough mercy there for me. And so, she's saying, give me what I don't deserve. I think that's an helpful way to see that and understand that. As you go on, it's in verse 29 and 30, He says, "For this statement, th- this is a, a powerful thing too. You may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. He, he, he's saying like there's something about what she is saying when she is speaking, he, it's a shocking response to him. In Matthew 15:28, it says, Jen Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith, be it done for you as, as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So, you, I mean, that's a, those are really powerful things for us to see. Jesus' interaction with this woman. It really is a shocking kind of thing. You kind of think, man, he speaks in a way where I'm, I'm, you're uncomfortable a little bit. He's not someone to be trifled with. Nobody's controlling Jesus. Like I've said, there are some of you you think you hold the strings to Jesus, you know, in your life. You're that silly and foolish. But you might have that feeling of like, oh, I I am yeah, I deserve, I deserve whatever Jesus is going to give me. You know, that kind of thing, that, that deal of like, I've worked for whatever, you know, this or that. But here's the thing. She doesn't do that. She demonstrates a heart of faith, trusting in jesus to do what only jesus can do i I, I want to read a couple of things from a guy uh, his name is edwards he says this woman is the first person in mark to hear and understand a parable of jesus the brief parable of the children and dogs at the table has disclosed to her the mystery of the kingdom of god she is not distant and aloof attempting to maintain her position and control She does what Jesus commands of those who would receive the kingdom and experience the word of God. She enters the parable and allows herself to be claimed by it. That she answers Jesus from within the parable, that is, in the terms by which Jesus addresses her, indicates that she is the first person in the gospel to hear the word of Jesus to her. He goes on. Within the parable, she has met a living Lord with whom She has struggled and contended. She has sparred with Jesus as Jacob sparred with God at Peniel. Your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. She is a female Jacob. She too has overcome. Jesus sends her home, assuring her that the healing of her daughter has already transpired. It's almost like she is like a true Israelite, one who is trusting God, One who is wrestling with God, not in an arrogant way, not in an I deserve it way, but in a way where there's a humble trust in God and not letting him go. Martin Luther loved this story. He says, she took Christ at his own words. He then treated her not as a dog, but as a child of Israel. And so it's just, this is a beautiful story of what God is doing in the world and how he is rescuing a people for himself and how he's going to do that for the whole world, both Jew and Gentile, and we see this. You know, some people are kept, I would say, on the edge of like entering into the kingdom. You know why? Because they're either too proud, which there are plenty of those. There are a lot of religious people that are really proud. They have like kind of they think Jesus in their pocket kind of really religious, great, in their minds, great. There's those really proud people, and then there's people that maybe think that they could never, ever get to Jesus. They're too sinful. But the reality is, in both cases, you can reject the gospel. You can reject God's love, and you see that in, of course, like the prodigal son story. But this woman comes knowing she is in need and yet trusting in the Savior, even though her need is great in her Issues are great, you might say. Okay, so you continue on. Look at verse 31 through 37. Why we can do it um, that way. Why, why, how, how can we approach Jesus, and why can we, can, can we do that? Like, that's kind of a, a bigger question. Um, and what we see is in verse 31 through 37 that Jesus identifies with us. He is close to us. Like, he, he identifies with us in a very personal way. Again, when you're looking at this and you're thinking about what is going on, Jesus is coming and he meets a deaf and a mute man. And you think about how he meets him. There's something about he pulls him away. He pulls him away from the crowds and all of the activity. This is not something he's going to make a spectacle. He has been pulling away from a lot of that anyway. And what you see is Jesus comes and he addresses this man. What does he do? He puts his fingers in his ears. He like spits on his fingers and touches his tongue. It's a very intimate and personal thing. He, he is kind of showing us in a way you could say, he, he is, he's teaching us what it is like to come to someone in desperate need. You see him identifying with him, being so close to him. He also, you'll see that he sighs before he heals him. And so all of that that's going on, when you're thinking about it, when he identifies with us, you might say something like this, he spoke the only language intellectually that that man could understand. It was a language that he could see with his eyes and he could feel with his touch, you know, the touch. He couldn't speak to him. He couldn't say things to him. The man couldn't communicate really, he couldn't communicate back. So what does Jesus do? He connects with him at a level by By touching him in such a way, it's a form. One person said, "Of like sign language." He's using sign language to communicate to him that he identifies with him in his suffering. He also, there's an emotional kind of component when he pulls him aside. There's this element of intimacy that he's drawing close to him. And you might say, thirdly, that when he moans, like he is identifying with that man's suffering. He's going to identify so much with our suffering, with our illness, with our struggles, all of those things, that he will die on the cross for us. Jesus is sighing because the weight of sin, the weight of the fall, the weight of that struggle is great and it is difficult. You know, it's interesting in Isaiah 35, verse 5 and 6, it speaks of like when Messiah comes, that the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. He's going to draw them in and draw them close to Him. He is identifying with us. So we say, how can we like approach Him? We come like this Gentile woman, laying our lives down before Him, begging Him to do what He promises to do, hoping in Him. And then, why can we do it that way? Because He identifies with us. He is not aloof. He's not that kind of Savior that's like, back away from us. He says, draw near to us. And the third thing, I think, just kind of, when you're looking at this, you kind of ask the question of like, how will that leave me? And the answer is, you will be satisfied. There is a satisfaction that comes. And you see that in verses 1 through 10 in this feeding of the 4,000. You you remember just like a little bit, like I mean, just a couple of chapters before, um, we're looking at Jesus feeding the 5,000. In Mark chapter 6, it's there, and you, you remember it was like this group of men, and it may have been a group of men who are wanting him to like take over Rome. That seems like in John that they're trying to make him, I think it's the same uh, thing that's going on here, and they're trying to make him king. That's the group that is there. But when you look at this, we're seeing this is not that. He is, in again, in a Gentile territory, and he is feeding this 4,000 people. And it's, it seems to be both men and women are there. And this is what he is doing. So I make a, I'm going to give you a few little things here to think about the satisfaction that comes through knowing him. And so we just kind of, I, I don't know, you, we just talked about the Jew and the Gentile. But one of the things you want to see here is in the Gospels, they'll show us, in Matthew particularly, in chapter 14 and 15, what he does is he goes to the Jewish region, then the Gentile region, and in chapter sixteen, he meets with Peter and he says, "Peter, like, who do you say? Who do they say that I am?" And they talk a minute. And he says, "Peter, ultimately says, you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And it's a picture of like the the church. What does it mean to be the church, made up of both Jew and? gentile and i think it's the same way here he was in the jewish region now he's in the gentile region and we're seeing something take place where god is bringing about a new exodus a new transformation that's going to bring salvation to all it will satisfy them and you have these people that have spent days with him if you think about three days without eating i don't even like to go with one meal like without eating and we were like at the lake or the river yesterday Uh, out you know messing around and we got there and the boys had eaten at like 6 a.m and so they're sitting there and it's 10 o'clock and they're saying uh, and I messed with Ben I was like is it time for lunch and and Ben was like uh, I don't know mom is it time for lunch she said it's 10 a.m and so we're all kind of hungry but she's you know we're thinking what's going on but you can imagine three days with this large group of people following Jesus why would they do that They must have been hungry for something beyond bread. They must have been hungry for something spiritual bread. There was something about him that enticed them to the point where they did not leave. Some of you, if I taught longer than than at 12 o'clock, you'd be like, dude, it was great, but I'm out, right? You know, we got to go. But the thing is, is like when you think about that, there's this spiritual hunger there, this spiritual longing, they are being drawn to Him. There's something about Him that is satisfying their soul. It trumps the physical. It trumps the physical. And so I think it's for us to just stop and consider that Jesus is the bread of life. You know, so often in life, I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you ever eat junk food, do you ever, like, get hungry quicker? Answer, of course you do. You need more junk food. If you think in terms of your life, like, if you think of, like, what you worship in life, it it, it, it could be your career, it could be, you know, I don't know, your money, it could be, like, a, your sporting activity, it could be a long list of things that you worship. The deal is, no matter how much you get, you want more, because it never satisfies your soul. These people are there... There, there's a satisfaction coming to them. And so I think that is another thing that you see here. There, there's a hunger being addressed that will only be satisfied by him. The third thing I would just note here is just the disciples, for whatever reason, they still can't see his power. They struggle with that. How can anyone feed these people? They are struggling over and over and over again to see it. They can't see that he is, there is something that's going on that's greater than than physical things the other thing that's interesting about them is I don't understand how in the Jewish region after just a little while they're like we need to feed these people tonight the Gentile region there's like three days and they don't really say anything Jesus has to bring it up which kind of doesn't surprise me but you know I think it is a little bit surprising it's like what's going on there you know okay and the fourth thing is when we're thinking about Jesus work here and we're thinking about the satisfaction That he brings. I think it's just important for you to ask, like, really, like, what what are you really ingesting, personally? What are you ingesting? What are you trying to fill your life up with to try to satisfy your soul? Are you really thinking and considering him? So, this is what we say today. This is kind of what you think about, like, how should we approach Jesus, and why can we do that? And then, what kind of satisfaction does it bring? So, how do you approach him? You approach him in a humble faith. You're approaching, clinging clinging to him like Jacob did, like this woman did, saying, please, Lord. You approach him saying, like, I don't come here deserving. Some of you think that you're going to get to the end of your life and stand before the Lord and would be like, you'll have a long list of all the great things that you did, and you think, oh, I'm acceptable. Look how I'm acceptable. Look what all I did. I worked for all of my spiritual place. That's a frightening place to be because you know what? When you stand before a holy God, you will be like Isaiah saying, Woe is me. Some of you have never seen a holy God because you have a God in your own imagination, but not the God of the Bible. Because when people see him, they bow. So you come in her way, in the way of all disciples, in the way that they all come. They all come saying like, Woe is me, a sinner. All of them are not like the Pharisee sitting over there beating his chest. But, like the person, the tax collector who's, who's or, or that's telling it how great he is, but then the tax collector's saying, Oh, woe is me, Lord, a sinner. And so we say, Okay, this is how we approach him with that kind of heart. We can do that because he identifies with us. And the satisfaction is he will feed you, he will feed you, he will feed your soul. He is in the business of feeding souls. He is in the business of speaking life to us. He is the business of rescuing people. And some of you, like I said today, may be here and you think, you know what, I don't know this kind of Jesus. We would love to share more with you. We want you to understand who He is. We work hard to say in every service, God is holy, you are sinful, Christ is Savior, and that's the only hope we have. That is what we look forward to in faith. That's who we're trusting. What we try to do in our services every week and the preaching that we do in the study guides is reveal a great and mighty and holy God who is personal, who condescended to us to save us, who lived a perfect life and died a perfect death so that we might be saved. That's what we say to people. And we communicate that in everything that we try to do. We try to say to you, This is your only hope. And we say there is a way. There is a way to enter in. You enter in trusting him for what he has done. Jesus is an example of what we ought to be with others. But he is the preeminent example of what it means to know God. And so I hope that you will see that today. That you would feast on these words. That they would give life to you let's pray father we thank you for your word we ask for the wisdom to see we know Lord that the scriptures even with with the with with Peter's confession you are the Christ the son of the living God he says flesh and blood did not reveal this to you we know that in the parables when they're explained he says to them like you didn't come up with this It has been granted that you can see it and believe. I pray, Lord, today that you would grant those who are outside of Christ, who may have gone to church their whole life, but are outside of Christ, that you would grant by your Spirit's power for them to see the Gospel and believe it. And for those who are in Christ, those who do know Him, I pray, O Lord, that you would remind us of the way in which you work in the lives of people and allow us to be a part of that through our prayers, through our witness, that we would explain the wonders of the Christ, the son of the living God who came to save us in Christ's name. Amen.